As a church, we've begun uh, our journey through a book called Ephesians. Uh, we started that a couple of weeks ago, uh, and we're going to jump straight into it this morning. Um, and if you have your Bible, so if you could turn, press slide to Ephesians chapter 1, and we're going to be parking ourselves in verses 15 to 22 this morning. Uh, we've been uh, started this journey a couple of weeks ago with Nathan starting the series for us. Uh, we were reminded, uh, firstly and foremostly, for those of us who know Jesus, we've been given a title as saints, and we've been given this wonderful gift of grace through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then last week, we unpacked how the deep riches of how now, because of the gospel, we've been given many what's described as spiritual blessings. And this morning, what we're really seeing is a pastor, a church planter, an apostle who had started, was part of starting this church, his pastoral heart for this community of believers in the city of Ephesus and the churches surrounding it. So here is from Ephesians chapter 1, starting in verse 15. This is God's word. For this reason... Because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you. Remember you in my prayers that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. What, is, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he was raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named not only in this age but also in the one to come And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we come to you this morning to stop and pause and continue this time of worship to hear from your word. Pray that you will settle our hearts and minds, that you would speak to us. What's on your heart? Our prayer is, Jesus, that you would be center this morning. Nothing else but you. Lord, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable through your Son, our great King. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, This morning, the main focus will be, we're going to be reflecting on this idea of a Christ-centered prayer. A Christ-centered prayer. That's what we're going to be meditating on this morning. So the guy who's writing this letter, the Apostle Paul, loves this church. And what we're seeing in verse 15 is really him unpacking deeply his care for a community of believers that he he has served alongside, has prayed for. And what we're seeing is his heart come out as he specifically prays for them. In verse 15, it starts with this, for this reason. 
So, you know, in our Bibles, we've got these verses and so on. Paul probably didn't have that. And the letter, when it was read out or uh, read by people, they probably didn't have those verses in there. But when he's talking about for this reason, it's what he just talked about previously. That they are blessed community. They've been blessed with every spiritual blessing. That they are a chosen community. That they are adopted into the family of God in Christ. That they have redemption through Jesus' blood that was spilt for them on their behalf. That the mystery of Christ that was once hidden and now has been revealed. That they have a great inheritance that waits for them. They've been sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Now because of all these things, now Paul unpacks what I would call a very Christ-centered prayer. Have a look at verses 15 and 16. For this reason, because I've heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. This is a church that Paul knows intimately. Most people say anywhere between two to three years invested in this church. And so the reports are coming back. It is quite interesting in our modern day and age, when you talk about a church, what are the things that you talk about? I mean, if Paul was in our modern day time, if someone said, hey, if Paul said, hey, how's the church of Ephesus? Some of the things they might hear in our modern day time, it might be things like, hey, Paul, you should really check out their awesome website. It looks amazing. You should check out their public Facebook page. They're so creative. You should hear about their music team on Sundays. Oh, Paul, have you heard Ephesus? It's been a challenging time for them, but they've finally raised the funds for this church building. Now, these are all modern-day takes. I'm sure Paul didn't even think about those things. didn't matter to him, I don't think. But you see in these verses what matters to Paul. There's a guy later in the, uh, in the letter of uh, Ephesians you'll hear about who takes this letter, a guy called Tychicus. So imagine if Tychicus is there and Paul is asking the question, how is the church in Ephesus? What have we heard? What are the reports? What matters to Paul is not what's going on in the church as in the services and uh, programs. What matters to Paul the most is how is their faith? How is their faith in Jesus Christ? Are they resting and standing in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ? Are they resting in the spiritual blessings that we have inherited because of Jesus? And more importantly, are they living out because of these gospel truths? Or are they just looking inwardly? Would it be a great encouragement to a man who's in prison to hear, Paul, they are. Their faith in Christ is strong. And not only that, they're living this out by their love for all the saints. Not just in Ephesus, but all the saints. Canary Gardens, imagine when people talk about Canary Gardens Community Church. Imagine what they talked about most was that we were known for our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And our love towards one another, all those those family members of ours who are followers of Jesus, not just in our church and our denomination. So what you're hearing is Paul's heart, he hears, he's encouraged. And he says, this is what I'm going to pray for you. And he prays what I call a Christ-centered prayer. 
In verses 16 to 19, he says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him. So Paul is moved. He's moved to cry out to this Savior that they believe in. And he's praying for them. And notice his request for them. He's not actually praying for a church that's most probably facing persecution of their faith, who would have been uh, surrounded by all this idol worship. He's not praying that God would protect them from those things. Neither is he praying, God, please provide escape from them, from their circumstance in that situation. Neither is he praying that, Lord, would you please provide for their needs. The history of this church, that many of them gave up their rituals and practices to follow Jesus Christ. So there would have been income that they don't have as much anymore. And here, now Paul is not asking for those things. Because Paul's prayer is Christ-centered. He says and prays for them that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, the one who is king, will give them through the Holy Spirit a wisdom, revealing things that are not known and that they would grow in the knowledge of Jesus. He's praying to them and he's asking that God, not just that God, but their God, their Savior, their Father, through the Holy Spirit. If you're into theology, this is beautiful, Trinitarian theological prayer going on. And he prays that they will be given wisdom. Not earthly wisdom. The wisdom is that they would be revealed and they will grow in their knowledge of Jesus. That is his prayer. That is his request. In many ways, he's simply saying, but powerfully saying, I'm praying that you will know Jesus more. That they will grow in who he is. That their identity in Jesus doesn't just keep them in one place. But he wants them to keep growing and growing and maturing. And not in the knowledge of this great Savior. The one who is the source of all the spiritual blessings that they have. The language here is that saying that they will keep coming back. That they will keep on marinating in Jesus and his very character. That through the Holy Spirit they will know this Jesus. I mean, this church, like I said, would have been facing persecution for their faith. There's temptations all around them in the city of Ephesus. There's idol worship that's going on. There's the different cultural temptations that they're facing. Yet Paul's not praying that God would protect them and keep them or remove them from their persecution and challenges. I mean, he doesn't use this time to say, hey, by the way, while I'm praying for you, can I also pray for myself? I'm in prison. He doesn't even pray for himself to be removed from prison. He prays that they will grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. If you have Facebook and social media, uh, you probably have this little thing that comes up every so often. Memories. Facebook says they care so much about you, they want to remind you of a memory. Most of those memories are useless as I look at them. Some of them are really great because I'll see my little kids now all grown up. 
Imagine if there was a, a certain app that pulled up the memories of your prayers and the kind of prayers that you say, the types of things that you pray about. Imagine if there was such an app. Would those prayers really be about that you would know Jesus more? Or would those prayers be about as you pray for others that they would know Jesus more? No matter what circumstance they're in. I think what happens is sometimes we are so focused on ourselves. I mean, I was just thinking about this the other day. This is how focused I'm at myself, about myself. When somebody comes and talks to you, and you are talking to them, and as you're talking to them, they share a story, and you share another story about yourself, a better story, even though that person is sharing about them. I don't know if that happens to you. Please, if that happens to someone next to you, don't look at them. It's not a good idea. That happens to all of us. But I think that's what happens in our prayer life sometimes. I don't know if this happens to you. I know it happens to me. Sometimes my prayers are more me-centered than Christ-centered. My prayers are more me-centered than they are Christ-centered. Friends, this idea of this is not to condemn you, but it's to challenge us to consider what it means to have Christ-centered prayer. I mean, imagine if we were known as a community, as we pray for one another, as we engage with the different seasons in life, right there in that moment, as someone's sharing with you, you pray for their request, but then you're also praying that they would grow in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. Imagine if we grew as such a community like that. See, because we're a community that are tempted and we are, as a culture, tempted to think about ourselves alone, it's hard to pray Christ-centered prayers. But see, this reminder is here as Paul is unpacking that our requests and prayers should be focused on Jesus. And when those requests and prayers are challenging and asking and interceding for people to grow in their perspective of Jesus and growing in the knowledge of Jesus, no matter what circumstances they may be facing, it will change their perspective. And Paul unpacks it even further in verse 18, saying, Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. He's not praying that some sort of just a prayer request that, you know, they've got to pray hard in Christ-centered prayers. He's, he knows for them to grow in the knowledge of Christ, that their hearts must be enlightened. He's praying in many ways that the very epicenter of their lives begins to understand something that's mind-blowing. Did you see what they are? Have a look. Their hearts may be enlightened that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you. To what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? And what is immeasurable greatness of his power towards us who believe according to the working of his great might. These three things. He's asking Christ that they will grow in their knowledge of Jesus, 
And then in that, their hearts will be enlightened in knowing that they have salvation. Is the language there. It's so they have hope. No matter what situation that they're in, no matter whatever circumstances, good or bad, they can take assurance for those who know Christ in the Ephesian church, they have been given the greatest gift. They have hope. They've been given salvation. That means they can live in hope in no matter what circumstances. And that's the same for us. No matter what you're facing right now, if you know Jesus, you have been given hope. You have hope. This is salvation. Do you know salvation is not just some sort of ticket to heaven? It's a constant reminder to you and I, we have hope. Eternal hope. But our hearts may be tempted to put our hope and salvation in something or someone else. Church, I pray you and I will remember of this hope that we're given because of Christ's salvation. I mean, he talks about this glorious inheritance amongst the holy ones, the saints. What he's saying is that the church will keep focusing that they have been given something that is to come. They have an inheritance waiting in heaven. That there is something greater in this universe that's been given to them. That the God of the universe has called them and saved them and kept them. And now he's made them his possession. These are assuring words for a church community. That they know what is to come. That they're valued by the creator of the universe. And they have assurance. Despite of whatever circumstances they may be facing. And not only that, they're actually part of a bigger plan. Did you notice the language of saints in there? This idea, this picture that they are part of this larger family. God's company of saints. Friends, this is also an assurance for those of us who know Jesus. That we have been given an inheritance. And that we've been now possessed by the creator of the universe. Not only is he God, but he's our heavenly father. Is that true to you today? Was something or someone else calling you to put your hope in that? Did you know that elders meet every couple of, uh, twice a month? And one of the things that we do is have a time of prayer on one of those times. If you want to know what our prayer is for you as a leadership, that we pray that you will know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. This is a prayer for you that we have as a leadership team. And so finally, as Paul unpacks these verses, talking about a Christ-centered prayer, as he requests and petitions to God, he says that this, he's praying that this church will know the incomparable, surpassing greatness of God's power. And he actually inserts himself in that. I don't know if you noticed in verse 19. He puts himself in that picture. He's also saying for him as well, he wants to know this. In summary, what he's saying is he's praying that this church would know the mighty, potent power of God. This church would know it. In our Western culture, most of us are tempted to be very self-sufficient. Probably not just in our Western culture. 
Today, when you think about what you're going to have for lunch, you're not worrying about where your food's coming from. We're all self-sufficient people. And because of that, I think we lose sight of how big our God is. We lose sight of how great and mighty He is and how powerful He is. Is that true for you and I? How big is your God? How big is my God? Last night, one of my boys um, couldn't sleep for various reasons. And he comes up to me, and so we run, go into our bed, and we're lying down, and uh, I'm giving him a cuddle, and he's talking to me, uh, and he stares out the window and goes, Dad, isn't God so great? And it was beautiful, but also he was you know, playing for time to take his time to go to bed. <clears throat> but I'm like, yes, yeah, son, yeah. And I'm feeling very proud, and you know, my son's getting it. God, God is so great, isn't he, Dad? Yes. He's so mighty, Dad. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is going great. He's getting his theology. It's beautiful, really. And he goes to bed. And I was reminded that even now at Kids Church, there are some kids right now singing a song. My God is so big, so mighty, so powerful, there's nothing my God cannot do. Friends, is that true for us today? I think, I don't know about you or me, as we get older, I think as we become more tempted to be self-sufficient, we lose the wonder and greatness and might of our great God. How mighty and powerful He is. That God's unmeasurable power has now been showing towards you and I. He is so powerful. And if you want to know and explain what this power looks like, well, Paul actually answers that for you. So in verse 20, And he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion above every name that is named, not only in this age, but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills in all. The picture that Paul is painting is a picture of the reality that is true now. He's telling to this church, church that has been surrounded by idols and rulers. He's saying... There is a Christ, the same power that raised him from the dead, now seats him in the heavenly realms. This same power that Christ was risen. For those of us who believe, that means his power is available through Christ in us. And the aim of this power is not sort of like self, sort of, oh, look how powerful I am. No, it's to say all this power comes from Christ. He is the source of this power. It is the power of Jesus. And he says, as he's unpacking in these verses, in verses 20 to 23, as we just read, that Jesus is far above all things. I mean, this is a church that we've been facing persecution. They've got idol worship around them. There's this constant pressure of compromise. And he's praying that their eyes of their heart through the power of God, through the Holy Spirit, would be enlightened and their focus will be on the one who is eternal, Jesus Christ. 
The language of him sitting on the right hand of the Father is both the reality that's happening now, but also the picture that he has full authority. He's a place of honor. And his kingdom is not like the kingdom of the, uh, the Roman Empire and others around him. Nothing like the earthly places. Nothing like the idols of Ephesus. I mean, you can take a tour now to modern-day Turkey and visit those temples where those idols are in ruins. But this King Jesus, seated on the right hand of the Father, has dominion over all things. The one who is far above every name that is named above, not only in this age, but the age that is to come. And it's like as he's thinking and meditating on this Jesus, Paul goes almost like in a tangent. In many ways, what he's saying is, hey, church of Ephesus, there's only one who's really in charge. Friends, that means for you and I, as we pray for each other, this is how we pray. But not only that, it's a reminder to you and I, even today, is our circumstance shaping our lives or are we reflecting on the reality there's a Savior who rules and reigns? A friend of mine wrote an uh, article on uh, the aspects of the, the challenges that are going to be facing religious um, groups. And it's very easy as you read these articles and all the things that are coming in, you get a stirring in your heart to go, oh, God, who's really in charge? Or maybe you've had someone who's shown you this article or these groups and Facebook pages and um, videos and you, something stirs in you, you got almost like panic button. Oh no, oh no. Friends, this is a reminder to you and I, there is one who will always rule. There is one who has all authority. He's above every name, over every dominion. Not only in the age that is to come. So he's writing in Ephesus and the age that is to come. That means even today. And more the age that is going to come till he returns. This is our Jesus. One of the most powerful statements I've ever seen in the New Testament is in the Gospel of John. Up here on the screen, you'll see the verses. Jesus is about to go to the cross. He's standing before Pilate. And Pilate says to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You have no authority over me at all unless it's been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has a greater sin. Jesus knew even that very moment as he's about to head to the cross where the authority really lay, not in Pilate's hand, but in his father's hand. And he submitted to that authority and went to the cross on your behalf and my behalf. And he died, but now he's risen. And he has all authority, all authority that has been given to him. And in verse 22 he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills in all. Paul is praying and giving this picture of Christ's headship and authority. All things. And the ones who benefit from this are us that know Jesus. We are beneficiaries of this because we're under his authority 
And when we walk under his authority, he enables us to go and proclaim these truths. And with his authority and power, we can join in his mission. Because we are his body. Because he's the one who fills it. This is Jesus. Because in many ways, what Paul is saying is, Jesus is the one who directs and fills and shapes the church of Jesus Christ. Church, imagine if we, as a community, to grow to pray in such a way. That we are known as a church that has a faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and for the love towards the saints. That if we grow to be a community that prays in such a way that we don't just pray for the different prayer requests that we might have, but we also pray that each of us will grow the knowledge of our Savior. This is what we pray for you as a leadership team. And church, imagine if we're praying in the midst of praying for one another as a community, as Paul is praying for this church, that our hearts, our eyes of our hearts will be enlightened to know the hope to which he has called us, to the riches that awaits us, and to be resting in his immeasurable greatness and power. I want you to know this is what we as a leadership team pray for you. Just as I was preparing this talk, my heart was moved, and I want to put this out to you this morning. I think for some of us, this picture has become a bit dull. I think whatever circumstance that you're facing right now, whatever situation you are in right now, it's almost that Jesus is not actually in control. Whatever that might be personal things that are going on, things around the world. Our current circumstance has been lying to you and telling you that that circumstance is in control rather than the one who has dominion over all things, Jesus Christ. Friend, if that's you, let me remind you, there is one who has all authority. So you can actually run to him because he's good. The one who was willing to submit to the authority of the Father to die on your behalf and my behalf. The one who is risen and who is Christ. The one who says that he is in control. So that means you can rest in no matter what circumstances you're in in the knowledge that he is in control and rest and grow to knowledge knowing him. If you're someone who's exploring the Christian faith, I want to just say this to you. You may think you are the boss of your own life. There is someone who is a greater boss. His name is Jesus Christ. And until you can give your life and faith to that and submit to his loving authority, you will realize very quickly you're not in control. So submit to his loving control. And we pray as a church your heart will be enlightened to these truths. The glorious wonder of our Savior. And this is you. We'd love for you to talk to someone who brought you here this morning. Or if someone who calls Canterbury home, you have every right to go up to them and ask them, hey, tell me about Jesus. What do you believe? And hopefully they should be be able to answer you. Church, I pray that we as a community will be defined by Jesus. That we will grow to pray Christ-centered prayers that rest in his loving and sovereign authority and not in our circumstance alone.
So this week, we're having prayer week. So one of the things we've done is given you a prayer guide. And what we've done is we've cut apart these verses that we just read and unpacked as a church. We want you to use that as a tool to pray, to grow in praying Christ-centered prayers. Another way might mean that you, as you have your quiet times or ways that you're driving or whatever it is, use this passage as a way of praying to Jesus. And then we would love for to gather as a church on Wednesday night. We'll sing a couple of songs to our great Savior. We'll pray to him and petition him, but we will also pray in such a way knowing that he has full authority. And then on Sunday, we'll gather as a church family. We'll hear from his word as usual, but then we'll have a meal together and celebrate. And afterwards, we'll spend time praying and seeking our Savior. And so maybe even this week, as you hang out with your family and friends or someone who says to you, hey, this is what's happening in my life, as you pray for them, can I encourage you that you also pray that they will rest in Jesus and his authority, that they will grow in the knowledge of him in the midst of praying for those requests. May we grow to be a church that prays Christ-centered prayers because we have one who is interceding for us on our behalf every day. So we can approach his throne anytime, anywhere. This is our king. We invite the music team to sing as we sing this last song. The song is called, What a Beautiful Name It Is. It's talking about Jesus himself. Let's sing together as a church and worship our great king. Thanks, guys.